Amen. God bless you. Appreciate you being here. Well, that's a great truth. Hey, Jesus is the reason for the season. Now, listen, you got your Bible. Hold your Bible up for me real good this morning. You got the Word of God, this great sword of the Spirit. Glad to have you here this morning. If you've been reading your Bible, we keep holding it up. Well, been reading your Bibles. Work on your Bibles. Have your Bible. Let me, on New Testament text, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse number 9. Let me put a plug in for tonight and Tuesday night. I encourage you to come tonight. Maybe bring some folk with you at 6.30. On Tuesday night, we will be going um, caroling. We'll be leaving here at 6 o'clock. And we'll split up into groups. We'll go to some folks' houses. We'll do some Christmas caroling. We'll come back here between 7 and 7.30. And then we'll have something to eat in the fellowship hall. And uh, just uh, then we'll come back in here and sing a little bit and end with a prayer meeting. Now, it, by the way, if you can't come to all of you, you're welcome to come and eat with us. Welcome to come in here a little later. And we'll sing and we'll, um, we'll have a prayer meeting. We'll do all that on this Tuesday night. And so we, we do something we call caroling around the tree, but we do caroling out in the community as well. And so if you're in, in, in interested in any of that, we'd be glad to have you. Glad to have the fellowship. Be good for you. Be glad to have you. Have your Bibles now. You found Romans chapter 6, verse 9. Please stand to your feet. We'd be pleased out of respect of God's Word. Romans chapter 6, verse number 9. I'm going to read through verse number 18, and I'm going to have you come back and read one of those verses with me. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are, to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness." Verse number 16 is the text verse for this morning. I'd like us to read that verse together. You ready? Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of righteousness unto God, of obedience unto righteousness. I messed that last part up, didn't I? Obedience unto righteousness. I'm going to try to preach to you this morning a sermon that has a question for a title. Whose servants are we? Whose servants are we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to be able to come out and have this time that we can be together in thy house. And Lord, Lord we've enjoyed the fellowship of God's people. And Lord, the fellowship of the Spirit in our Sunday school hour and our singing. And now, Lord, we've come to this portion of the service. And I stand before thy people in thy house once again, and I realize the great responsibility, yea, Lord, the great privilege to be able to stand here and to be able to deliver a message from the blessed Holy Word to a people that have come today seeking something from God. And as I stand here today, I realize once again my inability and my unworthiness to be here. And so once again, I would ask you to forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me of the blood of Calvary. Make me a vessel fit for thy service to be used of you. Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with power and unction that I can preach in a manner that everyone of the sound of my voice for the next little while would feel like this message is for them and them alone. May the saved be encouraged and uplifted. May Jesus be glorified. Well, thank you and praise you for what you're going to do. And Lord, may we leave here today with a great determination that we are going to be the servants of of the Lord Jesus Christ and the righteousness. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do in our midst. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. 
Lord began to do it in my heart yesterday afternoon, actually, about this passage of Scripture and about this whole thought. And I begin to think about what's happening here and what Paul is doing. Paul is dealing with the church at Rome. It is a Gentile church. It is what we would call a relatively new church. And he is dealing with them about their Christian walk. Now he's going to deal with several aspects of it. He's going to deal uh, with them about their service to the Lord Jesus Christ and what they need to do and what God requires out of them. And, but in chapter 6, he deals with the fact that it's, well, it's all based on our choice. I have a choice today about what I do with God, and you have a choice about what you do for God. We have a choice about salvation. It's not something that we sort of blunder into. It's something that we on purpose decide, I'm on my way to hell and I can't stop it. I choose Christ. Now, the same thing is true with our walk after we get saved. Uh, after we're saved, we, we don't just automatically serve God every day. We have to choose on a daily basis whose servants we are. And here in, in chapter 6, he's dealing with the fact that I am serving one of two things. Uh, there, there's not a third choice here. Uh, I am uh, every day choosing who I'm serving. By the way, so are you. Every day you're choosing who you're serving. And, and, and we, we have to make a, a conscious choice about that. Uh, and, and we're choosing, we're either, we're either serving sin unto death, or we've obeyed the, the Lord Jesus Christ and we're serving righteousness unto life. We're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's one or the other. So just in the introduction, he's dealing not only with our service, but he's dealing with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to number one, cleanse us from sin. Now, boy, as we enter this Christmas season, it's important we understand that the only way I can ever have my sin removed, or you can have your sin removed, is through the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood that He shed on Calvary. Now, uh, you're, you're in chapter 6. Look back in chapter 5, a couple of familiar verses, uh, verses 8 and 9 of Romans chapter 5. Now, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, when we're dealing with people about being saved, we often quote verse 8. But God commended His love toward us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now in, in verse number 8, we, we read that verse and we make a, a great truth. God loves us as we are as sinners. And while we were yet sinners, yet in sin, Christ died for us. Now, I want you to notice this important thing. He died for us. He died in our place for our sin. Now, watch what verse number 9 says about that. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath, from wrath through Him. Now, I want you to notice we're justified by His blood. Uh, it is the blood of Christ that cleanses us from our sin. It is not our righteousness. It is not our goodness. It is the blood of Christ and the blood of Christ, period, that cleanses from sin. Now, His, his, his blood has the power. It, it has the power to, uh, to, to redeem any and all of us uh, from the sin that we naturally live in because we're naturally sinners by grace, nature. Now I want to get a couple of the verses to really put some solid foundation to this. So I want you to go to Acts chapter 20 back in your Bibles, the next, the, the, the last, uh, the next book back. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse number 28. Now in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Apostle Paul is uh, giving a final address to the Ephesian believers. And he's giving them a warning, but in the middle of that warning, I want to pull out something. In verse number 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, I want you to notice that he's purchased the church with his blood. 
My salvation has been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. Your salvation has been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. It wasn't bought and paid for by own works. It wasn't bought and paid for by religious rituals and rites, but it was bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. And he purchased our salvation with his own blood. Now then, let's get one more passage to further solidify that. Go, if you will, to 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to uh, see this same principle, and Peter is, is going to expound upon this. And by the way, we've seen what, uh, that God dealt with Paul about it, and now we're going to see God dealt with Peter the same way. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 18. Now we're going to see this purchase of our, of our salvation comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition uh, from your fathers. Verse 18 he says, listen, you're not redeemed by silver and gold. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You're, you're, you're not redeemed that way. Uh, it is a vain tradition to think that you can earn your salvation. It's your tradition of men, whether it be that some sort of religious ritual or some religious rite, or where the people say, well, you, you got to keep the Ten Commandments or whatever they may say, whatever the ritual is, uh, it, it is it's tradition of men. And those things cannot redeem us from the curse of sin. So what does? Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So our salvation is purchased through the blood of Christ and what he did for us when he died for us on Calvary. Now, by the way, verse 20 is an important verse. It's important for us to understand that this has always been the will of God and the plan of God in salvation. Now, notice verse 20. And it says, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now, verse 20 says, Before God created the heaven and earth, before the foundation of the world, before Genesis 1-1, where it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Before that, before the foundation of the world, God said, I'm going to create man. I'm going to give man a free will. Man is going to sin. He's going to choose to sin. God is a holy God. God will not, cannot allow sin into heaven, into his presence. And God says, I want man to be able to be in my presence. I want to have a great fellowship with man. But man is going to sin. And his righteousnesses will never come up to my righteousness. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Isaiah uh, 63 that our righteousness are his filthy rags before his eyes. It's great truth. So the best I can do is, is a filthy rag as far as God's concerned. And God says, the righteous of man will never come up to my righteousness. So in order for man to be in heaven, there must be something to redeem him. Well, it's not works. It's not silver and gold. It's not what tradition, but it is the blood of Christ. So before God ever created man, in his foreknowledge, he knew he would create man. He knew man would sin. He knew man would not be worthy or righteous enough and could never be righteous enough to enter into heaven. So he already had a plan of redemption in place. And that was that God would become man that's what Jesus did. That's what we celebrate, the birth of Christ, is God becoming man, and then he would go to the cross, and he would die, not for his sins, but for our sins, the sins of all mankind. He paid for them on Calvary. And the only way that my sin can be removed, that your sin can be removed, is you placing your faith in what Jesus did for us. Not my church membership, not water baptism, not good works, but on purpose recognizing I am a sinner. If I get justice, I'll go to hell. 
and then on purpose asking Christ to be my Savior. Now, by the way, that's salvation. It's simple. It's not hard. If it was hard, a guy like me couldn't have found it. But there's a great truth in that. So Paul is saying, go back to chapter 6 of the book of Romans, back to our text, and we'll be coming back and forth this text today quite a bit. And, and, and so he's making a great truth that we are saved by faith in Christ and what Christ did on the cross in Christ alone. Now then, not only are we saved by faith, we are sanctified by faith. Now, don't get nervous over that word sanctified. That word sanctified just means set apart. And if I'm going to serve God, I've got to be set apart. And if you're going to serve God, you've got to be set apart. So if I'm going to yield myself a servant unto righteousness, there has to be a time that I set myself apart. I've got to be sanctified by that. Now, by the way, I don't have the power to do that either. I don't have the power to set myself apart any more than I had the power to save myself. I don't have any, any ability to make myself worthy of coming in God's presence now than I had before I got saved. My righteousness is still filthy rags. The best I can do is still doesn't come to the righteousness of God. So how is it that any of us can serve God and God be pleased with it? It is still through the blood. Now you're in our text, and I want you to look in verse number 11. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way that I can serve God is not in my strength, but it's through Christ. The only way you can serve God is not in your own goodness or your own ability, but it is through faith that Jesus enables you to. Now, how does that take place? One more verse, and I'll have the introduction done. Once you go to 1 John chapter 1 over in your Bible toward the book of Revelation, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7 really just spells this out very clearly. If my righteousness is not good enough to save me, and it's not, if your righteousness is not good enough to save you and it's not, it's the blood, then, then, then we must come by faith through Christ, Christ on purpose and be saved. I must trust Christ of my own free will, my own free volition. Well, after I'm saved, if my righteousness is not good enough to set me apart, and it's not, and it's the blood of Christ, and I've got to do that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then how do I do that? What does that mean? When well, First John chapter 1 and verse number 7 it says, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now here, we're back to the blood. You see, after I'm saved and I want to walk in the light, and by the way, the light is the truth of the Word of God, and then I walk in that light, and then we have fellowship one with another. And there's a great truth. God's people ought to encourage and uplift and have fellowship one with another. And then we walk in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I, how is it then that we can serve Him? It is because we are cleansed now by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I have the power to be saved through Christ. And I have the power to serve Him through Christ, not through me. That's the same with all of us. And so back in Romans chapter 6 now, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's laying this foundation. He's saying, now listen, Christ has the power to save you. He died on Calvary and shed His blood that you might be saved. He has the power not only to save you, He has the power to, to, to help you live for Him. But it's a choice. It is a free will choice. You see, I have a choice today and you have a choice. I, I can choose to serve sin or I can choose to serve the Savior. You say, are, are you saved? Sure. Hey, we're not talking about salvation now. Salvation is, is you coming to a point you realize you're lost and by faith you ask Christ to save you and you're saved. You're now a child of God. My way can't lose that. But you can lose the fellowship between you and the Father. Uh, it, it, Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. That being saved is like being 
It, it's a spiritual birth. And you're birthed into the family of God. By the way, just a point here. Just like that, you were born physically. Probably almost everybody in here knows the day that you were born physically. The only way that we know that is because somebody else told us about it. We sure don't remember it. But we, we, we know the day that we were born physically. And it was, by the way, you say, well, I just sort of got gradually born. Or I always was. No, you were born at a specific time. And they may, you might even be able to tell me the time that they say this was when you were born. Uh, and, and you're born on that time physically. The same thing is true with your spiritual birth. You, you, you wasn't just sort of, well, I've always been saved. No, you wasn't. Just like you wasn't always born. There was a point you were born. And there's a point you were born again. There's a point that you recognize, I am lost. I am on my way to hell. I cannot save myself. And, and therefore... If I get justice, I'll go to hell, but Christ loves me and died for me. He has a gift of eternal life. If you trust that, you're born again. Now, by the way, at that point, you're now a child of God. You can't lose that position as being a child, but you can lose fellowship between you and God. And therein comes the free will I have every day. Every day I have a choice to whether that I'm in God's will or not, or whether I'm in perfect fellowship with God. I mean, my children are, will always be my children. And uh, that nothing can ever change that, no matter what good they do or what bad they do. We can lose fellowship with one another because of sin, but we can't lose the position. And so if you're saved this morning, you can't lose the position. What you can lose is the fellowship. And that's the service. And so Paul says, that's a choice. Now you're in Romans chapter 6, I trust, but now you're back there. I, I want to look at this in verse 11 through 13. Now I want you to, I'm going to pull two words out of it. I want you to notice something. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now the first word is reckon. I, I want you to notice that word reckon. Now that word reckon means to think or to decide something. That, that, that is our way off. I'm reckoning about something. I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm rolling it over in my mind. And when I come to the point where I reckon something, I make a decision. I decide. I reckon this is the truth and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm making my mind up about this and I'm doing it. And, and so now you're making a conscious decision. And if I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, I've got to reckon myself dead from sin and alive unto God. I've got to say, you know what? I don't want to live that old wicked lifestyle. I don't want to have all the problems and trials and, and, and the contention that I had uh, in, in that. But I want to be alive unto God. And I want to have that peace that passes all understanding. And I want to have the power of God. And, and so I, I make a decision. I reckon that. Now, by the way, when I reckon that, I've got, here's the second word, yield. I've got to yield myself a servant. Yeah, because I'm either yielded myself to sin or I'm yielded myself to serve the Savior. And by the way, the, the word yield means this. It simply means to give control over to. That's all it means to yield. You see, my flesh doesn't want to serve God and neither does yours. My flesh did not get saved when my soul got saved, neither did yours. We have a great battle. We'll look at that in chapter 7 in just a minute. But the truth of the matter is, I must yield daily. I find I've got to yield more than once a day. I find that I've got to yield to God to serve God. Because my flesh sure wants me to serve it. Now, Paul had that same problem. Every day, you and I have to make a choice about who we're yielding to. Romans chapter 7, look over in verse 13. Romans chapter 7, he's dealing with the law and the purpose of the law, and is the law good? In verse 13, he says, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, 
working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You know the reason that God gave the commandments? is not so it'd be a list of things that we have to obtain to enter into heaven. Because the truth of the matter is, none of us can ever obtain it. None of us can ever live it. So if, if living the, what he's making reference to in verse 13, he said, if you have to live it to be saved, it becomes death because you can't live it. And he says, but you know what God gave it to you for? So that sin would become exceedingly sinful. And what God gave all the commandments for and all the things that's right and wrong is not for a list that for you and I to check off each day, but it's for us to see how sinful sin is in the eyes of God. Now, watch what he says about this in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Paul says, now the law is a spiritual thing, but I am carnal. By the way, so is all of us. Next verse. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. <laughs> that sounds very familiar. Now, he says, you know what? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I hate, that's what I do. Now, anybody that's been saved for any length of time, there is something in your life that you're going to battle probably on a daily basis. There's some temptation there is some lust. There is something that you know is sinful and you know is wrong. And you could quote me chapter and verse about it. But every day you fight it. Matter of fact, I've had people say, preacher, I just, I, I, I just might as well give up. Hey, listen, hold on a minute. The Apostle Paul had that same problem. Every one of us are going to have that problem. As a matter of fact, some Christian tells me they don't have that problem the only reason they don't have that problem is because they've not yielded themselves to God. Because they're still following their flesh. Because you're going to have a battle between your flesh and the Spirit once you yield yourself to God. And you're going to have a great battle every day. Verse 16. If then I do that, if, if then I do that that I would, uh, excuse me, if then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that is good. Now there's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He says, you know, if, if I don't live right, I make a mental ascension that I need the law. And by the way, I have this sin that dwells in me, that's in my flesh. Now then, uh, verse number 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. By the way, if there was nothing good in Paul's flesh... There's nothing good in Mike's flesh. And I can insert your name in there. If there was nothing good in Paul's flesh, there's nothing good in your flesh. We, we all, if you're saved, you have the will to do right. That's the spirit in you. That's your soul. But this old flesh, oh man, it don't like it. Now he repeats this in verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not, is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Before I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul says, you know, I, I fight this battle every day. And I have a desire to do the right thing, but there's this other that just pulls me in the wrong direction every day. And I often quote verse 24 to myself and when I'm talking to my Heavenly Father because I feel like this verse is talking about me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The Apostle Paul has a heart plea there. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. I have this battle that I fight every day. How can I be delivered from it? And then you have the answer in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with a the mind I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh the law of sin. He says, listen, my flesh will never, never get to the point where it's perfect. This flesh is not going to heaven anyhow. Our soul's going to heaven and this flesh will be changed. Then it'll go to heaven. We have a glorified body. Here's the great truth. Every one of us fights this battle. Every one of us. 
Everyone fights this battle every day. You're saved. You say, preacher, I know I'm saved. You can tell me when and where you were saved when you were born again. You cannot lose that salvation. But you fight this battle every day. Now what am I to do? Well, I'm to thank God that I have the victory through Jesus Christ. Not through Mike. My flesh doesn't have the ability to win and neither does yours. That's what chapter 7 is saying. So how am I going to serve Christ? I must make a conscious decision to serve Him. And I'm serving one of two things today. I'm either serving sin, which is my flesh, or I'm serving righteousness, which is the Holy Spirit leading me in the Word of God. So let's look at a couple things I'm about done. It took a while to lay the introduction down, didn't it? Now watch this. It won't take long with the message. I want you to turn, first of all, I want you to go with me. Uh, well, you're in, you're in Romans chapter 6. Look at that again right quick. Like, then we're going to go to 1 John 2. Chapter 6, verse 12. And it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. I, what does that mean? If I'm going to serve Christ, I can't let sin reign in my body, that I should obey it in the lust. Now, what is that? What is it that, I, that, that I'm to make a decision that I let not sin reign in my body? Well, go to 1 John chapter 2. I want you to see something. In 1 John chapter 2, uh, we, we have a, a great passage of Scripture uh, in, in this 1 John chapter 2. Uh, you, you find something where that he deals uh, with sin. And we're going to start in verse 15, and he deals with lust. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15. I want you to, uh, through verse number 17, there's three verses here that deals with this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now stop just a minute. I cannot love the world and God. It's not possible. That's why Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, we're talking to the church of Laodicea, you're, you're neither cold nor hot. You're trying to love both. You're lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. He's saying you've got to choose. You've got to choose that you're going to love God. You've got to love God. He says, now you can't love the world. But you know what my flesh does? My flesh wants to love the world. You know what your flesh does? Your flesh wants to love the world. And if I'm going to be a servant unto God, I've got to choose to love God. But there's three things that's against me. There's three things against you. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now there's three things that's in the world that causes us not to be servants of God, but rather servants of sin. All three of them are there. Now, by the way, did you realize that that's what happened to Eve when she sinned was all three of those things? I want you to go back there, if you will, to Genesis chapter 2 with me. And, and we'll come back here just in a moment because I'm going to get verse 17. But I want you to come go to Genesis chapter 2. I want you to see something about Eve, or excuse me, chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. If you find chapter 2, chapter 3 won't be far away. Genesis chapter 3. I want you to see what happens to Eve when she sins. It's the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All three of those things were present. And when I sin, it's the same way. You see, we, we often think about sin as something very wicked and something very evil. Mm, it's not true. It's just disobedience to God. That's all it is. And it, it always has these three things in it. So you find a, a chapter, a verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, if God said, you shall not every, eat of every tree of the garden. Notice Satan's first attack. He attacked the authenticity and the authority of God's word. By the way, he's still attacking the authenticity and the authority of God's word. Did God really say that? Does it really mean that? Is God really against this? It, 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 hasn't God changed? No. Yea, if God said. Now, so he attacks that. 
Now Eve answers him, verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not touch it, uh, shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now by the way, uh, Eve has not sinned yet. I've heard people say, well, she added something to it. She didn't add anything to it. Uh, there, there was a great wisdom there. God said, don't eat that tree because the day you eat of it, die of it. And, and, and they say, hey, you know what? We don't even need to be touching that thing. If, if eating it is going to cause us to die, we just need to stay away from it. And so they're not even allowed to be around it. Now watch what Satan says. Verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He said, that's a lie. You're not going to die. For God doth know that in day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He says, you know what? God knows that when you eat of that, then you'll have wisdom like God, and you will be able to determine what is good and what is evil, not God you will be able to determine what is right and wrong, not God. You will be able to determine what is sin and what is not sin. By the way, that's what man likes to do. Man likes to determine that homosexuality is no longer sin. But it is. Man likes to determine that marriage is not between one man and one woman, but it still is. Now, I'm not trying to attack anything. I'm just telling you. That's all that Satan was saying to Eve. You'll be able to determine that lying is not a sin under certain circumstances. You'll be able to determine that stealing might be right if the person you steal from has a lot of it. Amen or oh me? I mean, you understand where we're at in our society? Do you understand that we're here because we think we're gods and we think that we know what is right and wrong? And Satan said... God knows that, and God just wants to keep you from that. And God wanted to protect us from the result of it, which is where we're at. Now watch what Eve did. I know that you think I've lost my train of thought, but I haven't. Watch this. Verse number 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. By the way, there's the lust of the flesh. Boy, I'd sure like to eat that. I bet you that tastes good. Lust of the flesh. Now keep reading. And when a woman saw that a tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the, what does it say? Eyes. There's a lust of the eyes. Man, that sure is pretty. I bet you that would taste good, and it sure does look good good. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Let's go back and read the verse. You'll see the third thing. And when the woman saw that a tree was good for uh, food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Pride of life. I don't need God to tell me what to do. I know what to do. I don't need God to guide me. I don't need God to tell me what I should and shouldn't do. I just, I'm going to serve myself. What did she do? She sinned. And when a woman saw that a tree was good for food and it's pleasant in the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And you know what gets me in trouble? Lust the flesh, lust the eyes, pride of life. Go back to 1 John chapter 2. You know what makes me a servant of sin? You say, I'm not a servant of sin, I'm not a murderer, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not this, I'm not that. A servant of sin is when I allow the lust of flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to lead me. Now, in 1 John chapter 2, let's start in verse 15 and read down through verse 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, I have a choice about whether I serve sin or not. I have a choice. It is always lust of the flesh. I sure need that. 
You say, what is that? Whatever my flesh is lusting after. That sure looks good. I'd sure like to have that. What is that? Whatever looks good to my eyes. What's the pride of life? Don't tell me what's right and wrong. Don't tell me how to live. By the way, you can say that to people, but when the Bible's being quoted, you're saying that to God. And we say that in our own words to God. I'll do it my way. And God's like, oh, no, you won't. Because that's loving the world. And that will pass away one of these days. Now, I'm just about done. Let's go back to our text in Romans 6. I want you to notice verse 16. Know ye not that whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin and death or of obedience unto righteousness. What makes the difference? That's what I obey. It's who I yield myself to. Do I yield myself to my flesh? By the way, I fight my flesh every day. Every day. I have to yield myself over and over and over every day because my flesh never gives up. Now, yours might, but mine don't. I'm constantly saying, oh, wretched man that I am, dear Jesus, help me. And just, what does the Bible say about this? And just yield to the Word of God. <coughs> it's a conscious decision. Anybody that serves God's doing that, by the way. There's no way around that. So let me give you a couple quick things and we're done. What does it mean to yield to righteousness? I jotted a few things now. Uh, first of all, you're in chapter 6 of Romans. Look at verse 18. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Are you a servant of righteousness? Now, you know whether you are or not. What are you trying to serve today? Are you trying to serve righteousness or are you serving your flesh. And we're real good about saying, well, this is, there's nothing wrong with sinful with this. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody else is doing it. And we, we got all kinds of these little cliches. But the truth is, who am I serving? Who am I serving? And so I jotted some things down that helped me as years ago as a young Christian. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. The first thing that I had to learn to serve. The first thing. If I'm going to serve God rather than Mike's flesh, I have to yield myself to the first thing. You say, what's the first thing? 2 Timothy 2.15, it says this. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I must yield to the study of the Bible. I must yield to the study of the Bible. You say, preacher, I'm old and I can't memorize like I used to. That is a poor excuse not to read. I don't memorize like I used to either. Man, used to, I could read a chapter two or three times and quote it to you verbatim. I can't do that as easily anymore. I still need to study the Word of God. I still need to read and study and find out what God says about things. And you see, if I'm going to be a servant to God, it is impossibility if I don't know what God says. Great truth. If I'm trying to figure out what I think is right or wrong, I am now in trouble because I'm back to the pride of life and I'm not letting God tell me what's right. I'm telling me what's right. Great truth. All right, so the first thing is, is how much does this control your life? Do you read your Bible to find out what, how you should act, how you should talk, how you should look, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, where you should go, where you shouldn't go? You say, preacher, I've got to live. Well, God wants you to live. The Bible says a man does not work, neither should he eat. So therefore, you ought to have a job. God didn't say you shouldn't have a job. Amen or oh me? The truth of the matter is, what this Bible does is tell me everything about what I ought to do in my life. And if I refuse to yield myself to study it, I have automatically refused to follow it. 
You see that? So one of the, one of the key things, as, as a pastor, I'm constantly dealing with people who got trouble in their life. One of the first things I ask, hey, what does the Bible say about this? And I'm saying, preacher, I don't have time to read. And I'm like, mm-hmm, and that's why we're where we're at today. Because you're not yielded to the Word, you certainly can't be yielded to Christ. Anyone that says they're yielded to Christ, not yielded to the Bible, that's an oxymoron and it can't take place. If I'm not yielded to the Bible, I'm not yielded to Christ. And so the first thing I have to ask myself, am I yielded to the Word? Study it. Number two, let's get another one. Let's get something pretty easy here. I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter uh, number 18. I want to see something in Luke chapter 18. I'm not going to read all of this, but just one part of it. And I want you to see something, what Jesus is teaching. Luke chapter 18, verse number 1. I'm going to read that one verse. Luke chapter 18, verse number 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. It's a great, great, great parable that Jesus said about the importance of prayer and not giving up and keep praying. Let me ask you something. Have you yielded yourself to prayer? I am convinced that when I get to heaven, my, prayer, my failures will all be prayer failures. Where I cease to pray enough. Or I didn't pray enough. You see, the truth of the matter is, we ought always to pray. I cannot be yielded to Jesus if I don't have a prayer life. If all I do is say grace over my meals, I probably don't have a prayer life. If I don't have a prayer list that I'm praying for on a daily basis, I probably don't have a prayer life. I mean, Jesus, God in the flesh, would resort and pray all night long to the Father. Not only is it an example to me, but if Jesus needed to pray all night long, I have an idea, so do I. So do you. You see, the truth of the matter is, if I am a servant of Christ, and I'm yielding myself His servant, I am reading my Bible, and I am praying to God consistently without quitting. Let me give you another one. We're just about done. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10. And some of you know exactly where we're going with this one. Hebrews chapter 10. Now here's another point. If I yield myself to God, it is going to start that I am reading my Bible. I'm letting my Bible guide my life. I am, have an adequate prayer life that I am asking God's Help in everything. But here's another one. Verse number 25 of Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to notice it. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now that talks about assembling. Now we're assembled here this morning. That's what church is. And he says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now I'm going to come back to the last part of the verse just meant. When I first got saved, I had to make a decision about how often I was going to go to church. And by the way, I, I wanted to go to church. I was a teenager and it helped me. It helped me grow. I was around God's people. But you know, your flesh gets used to something and after a while you decide, well, you know, I don't need to be there. And, and, and you, get, you make all kinds of excuses and all kinds of things and... And I've found as you get older, you don't feel like it. And there's all kinds of other problems. And you've got family and responsibilities. And I know there are some things every once in a while that we have to take care of. But I found out something. And I hear people say, well, they didn't do that in the book of Acts. Have you ever read the book of Acts? Daily. Daily. They didn't just meet like we're meeting on Sunday and maybe Wednesday. They met every day. I mean, often. And it says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is. By the way, I, find, I always find out I'm not yielded to God when I'm not with God's people. And it says, and much more, let me go back first, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as a manner of some is, 
but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Oftentimes I have found out in my life, and I'm having a problem, I'm not feeling good, life's not going the way I want it to go, things are causing a problem in my life, and you say, boy, I just, I just don't feel like going, I'm just going to stay at home. Had I been at the service, what I needed was there. I can tell you how many times people come and say, Preacher, I just didn't feel like coming out, but I'm glad I came. I got what I needed tonight here or today or whatever. One of the things that I find where our problem is am I yielded to God is am I, am I faithful to His service? You say, you're a preacher. <laughs> I'm probably in church more than most of you. But that's not the point. I want to be in God's house. I want to be a symbol of God's people. Because God's people help me with my problems and my trials and my temptations. And they help me to stay yielded to God. You know, how, you know how I can tell when my heart's right or wrong? Am I yielded to God's uh, assembly? One last thing and I'm done. Titus chapter 2, interesting verse. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11 talks about salvation. You think, man, praise God, we're saved and it's all over. If I yield myself to Scripture, I yield myself to prayer, I yield myself to assembling. There's one other thing. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You know something else that I'll yield myself to? Righteous living. Godliness, holiness, righteousness in this present world. Hey, whose servant are you? Whose servant am I? Am I following the lust of flesh, lust of eyes, and pride of life? Or am I yielding myself as a servant of righteousness? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm trying to give you today what God really burdened my heart last night. Actually, yesterday afternoon, really, really, I had to come and pray about some of my own life. And God dealt with me about this thing. The invitation is like this. There may be somebody this morning say, Preacher, if I died right now, I'd go to hell. There's never been a time that I was born again why don't you come to an old-fashioned altar, let one of our person workers take a Bible, we'll open up the Word of God, and we will deal with you and answer your questions, and you can make sure that you're born again on your way to heaven. You hear you say, Preacher, I'm saved, I know I'm saved. Boy, this morning, I have not been yielding my life to a mighty God like I ought to, and I sure don't want to lose the blessing and power of God in my life. I want the peace and power of God. Why don't you come and just say that to Christ? and yield yourself a servant to Him. Father, bless this invitation as only God can. Please use it for Your glory and Your honor. Help us to choose to be Thy servants. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Why don't you stand to your feet and keep